Section 12 of Thrift. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christine Rucker, June 17, 2021, Westford, Massachusetts. Thrift by Samuel Smiles. Chapter 8. Savings Banks. Continued. The same feeling of suspicion frequently prevents workmen depositing money in the ordinary savings bank. They do not like it to be known to their employers that they are saving money, being under the impression that it might lead to attempts to lower their wages. A working man in a town in Yorkshire who had determined to make a deposit in the savings bank, of which his master was a director, went repeatedly to watch at the door of the bank before he could ascertain that his master was absent, and he only paid in his money after several weeks' waiting, when he had assured himself of this fact. The miners at Bilston, at least such of them as put money in the savings bank, were accustomed to deposit it in other names than their own, nor were they without reason for some of their employers were actually opposed to the institution of savings banks, fearing lest the workmen might apply their savings to their maintenance during a turnout, not reflecting that they have the best guarantee of the steadiness of this class of men in their deposits at the savings bank. Mr. Baker, inspector of factories, has said that the supreme folly of a strike is shown by the fact that there is seldom or never a rich workman at the head of it. A magistrate at Bilston, not connected with the employment of workmen, has mentioned the following case. I prevailed, he says, upon a workman to begin a deposit in the savings bank. He came most unwillingly. His deposits were small, although I knew his gains to be great. I encouraged him by expressing satisfaction at the course he was taking. His deposits became greater, and at the end of five years he drew out the fund he had accumulated, bought a piece of land, and has built a house upon it. I think if I had not spoken to him, the whole amount would have been spent in feasting or clubs or contributions to the trades unions. That man's eyes are now open, his social position is raised, he sees and feels as we do, and will influence others to follow his example. From what we have said, it will be obvious that there can be no doubt as to the ability of a large proportion of the better-paid classes of working men to lay by a store of savings. When they set their minds upon any object, they have no difficulty in finding the requisite money. A single town in Lancashire contributed £30,000 to support their fellow workmen when on strike in an adjoining town. At a time when there are no strikes, why should they not save as much money on their own account for their own personal comfort? Many workmen already save with this object, and what they do, all might do. We know of one large mechanical establishment situated in an agricultural district where the temptations to useless expenditure are few, in which nearly all the men are habitual economists, and have saved sums varying from 200 to 500 pounds each. Many factory operatives with their families might easily lay by from 5 to 10 shillings a week, which in a few years would amount to considerable sums. 
At Darwin, only a short time ago, an operative drew his savings out of the bank to purchase a row of cottages now become his property. Many others in the same place and in neighboring towns are engaged in building cottages for themselves, some by means of their contributions to building societies, and others by means of their savings accumulated in the bank. A respectably dressed working man, when making a payment one day at the Bradford Savings Bank, which brought his account up to nearly 80 pounds, informed the manager how it was that he had been induced to become a depositor. He had been a drinker, but one day, accidentally finding his wife's savings bank deposit book, from which he learnt that she had laid by about 20 pounds, he said to himself, Well now, if this can be done while I am spending, what might we do if both were saving? The man gave up his drinking and became one of the most respectable persons of his class. I owe it all, he said, to my wife and the savings bank. When well-paid workmen such as these are able to accumulate a sufficient store of savings, they ought gradually to give up hard work and remove from the field of competition as old age comes upon them. They ought also to give place to younger men, and prevent themselves from being beaten down into the lower-paid ranks of labor. After sixty, a man's physical powers fail him, and by that time he ought to have made provision for his independent maintenance. Nor are the instances by any means uncommon of workmen laying by money with this object, and thereby proving what the whole class might to a greater or lesser extent, accomplish in the same direction. The extent to which penny banks have been used by the poorest classes, wherever started, affords a striking illustration on how much may be done by merely providing increased opportunities for the practice of thrift. The first penny bank was started in Greenock, about 30 years since, as an auxiliary to the savings bank. The object of the projector, Mr. J. M. Scott, was to enable poor persons whose savings amounted to less than a shilling, the savings bank minimum, to deposit them in a safe place. In one year, about 5,000 depositors placed 1,580 pounds with the Greenock Institution. The estimable Mr. Quetkecht, a curate in the East End of London, next opened a penny bank, and the results were very remarkable. In one year, as many as 14,513 deposits were made in the bank. The number of depositors was limited to 2,000, and the demand for admission was so great that there were usually many waiting until vacancies occurred. Some save for their rent, said Mr. Quicket, others for clothes and apprenticing their children, and various are the little objects to which the savings are to be applied. Every repayment passes through my own hands, which gives an opportunity to learn of sickness or sorrow, or any other cause which compels the withdrawal of the little fund. It is, besides, a feeder to the larger savings banks, to which many are turned over when the weekly payments tendered exceed the usual sum. Many of those who could at first scarcely advance beyond a penny a week, can now deposit a silver coin of some kind. 
Never was the moral influence of the parish clergymen more wisely employed than in this case. Not many of those whom Mr. Quicket thus labored to serve were amongst the church-going class, but by helping them to be frugal and improving their physical condition, he was enabled gradually to elevate their social tastes and to awaken in them a religious life to which the greater number of them had before been strangers. A powerful influence was next given to the movement by Mr. Charles W. Sykes, cashier of the Huddersfield Banking Company, who advocated their establishment in connection with the extensive organization of mechanics institutes. It appeared to him that to train working people when young in habits of economy was of more practical value to themselves and of greater importance to society than to fill their minds with the contents of many books. He pointed to the perverted use of money by the working class as one of the greatest practical evils of the time. In many cases, he said, the higher the workmen's wages, the poorer are their families, and these are they who really form the discontented and dangerous classes. How can such persons take any interest in pure and elevating knowledge? To show the thriftlessness of the people, Mr. Sykes mentioned the following instance. An eminent employer in West Riding, he said, whose mills for a quarter of a century have scarcely run short time for a single week, has within a few days examined the rate of wages now paid to his men and compared it with that of a few years ago. He had the pleasure of finding that improvements in the machinery had led to improvements in wages. His spinners and weavers are making about 27 shillings a week. In many instances, some of their children work at the same mill, and in a few instances, their wives. And often, the family income reaches from 100 to 150 pounds per annum. Visiting the homes of some of these men, he has seen with feelings of disappointment the air of utter discomfort and squalor with which many are pervaded. Increase of income has led only to increase of improvidence. The savings bank and the building society are equally neglected, although at the same mill there are some with no higher wages whose homes have every comfort and who have quite a little competency laid by. In Bradford, I believe, a munificent employer on one occasion opened 700 accounts with the savings bank for his operatives, paying in a small deposit for each. The result was not encouraging. Rapidly was a small portion of the sums drawn out, and very few remained as the nucleus of further deposits. Footnote 1 from Sykes's excellent little handbook entitled Good Times, or The Savings Bank and the Fireside. Mr. Sykes suggested that each mechanics institute should appoint a preliminary savings bank committee to attend once a week for the purpose of receiving deposits from the members and others. If a committee at each institution, he said, were to adopt this course, taking an interest in their humble circumstances and in a sympathizing and kindly spirit to suggest, invite, nay, win them over, not only by reading the lesson, but forming the habit of true economy and self-reliance, 
the noblest lessons for which classes could be formed. How cheering would be the results! Once established in better habits, their feet firmly set in the path of self-reliance, how generally would young men grow up with the practical conviction that to their own advancing intelligence and virtues must they mainly look to work out their own social welfare. This admirable advice was not lost. One institution after another embraced the plan, and preliminary savings banks were shortly established in connection with the principal mechanics institutes throughout Yorkshire. Those established at Huddersfield, Halifax, Bradford, Leeds, and York were exceedingly successful. The penny banks established at Halifax consisted of a central bank and seven subordinate branches. The number of members and the average amount of the sums deposited with them continued to increase from year to year. Fourteen penny banks were established at Bradford, and after the depositors had formed the habit of saving in the smaller banks, they transferred them in bulk to the ordinary savings bank. Thirty-six penny banks were established in and around Glasgow. The committee, in their report, stated that they were calculated to check that reckless expenditure of little sums, which so often leads to a confirmed habit of wastefulness and improvidence. And they urged the support of the penny banks as the best means of extending the usefulness of the savings banks. The penny bank established at the small country town of Farnham is estimated to have contributed within a few years 150 regular depositors to the savings bank of the same place. The fact that as large a proportion as two-thirds of the whole amount deposited is drawn out within the year shows that penny banks are principally used as places of safe deposit for very small sums of money, until they are wanted for some special object, such as rent, clothes, furniture, the doctor's bill, and such like purposes. Thus the penny bank is emphatically the poor man's purse. The great mass of the deposits are paid in sums not exceeding sixpence, and the average of the whole does not exceed a shilling. The depositors consist of the very humblest members of the working class, and by far the greatest number of them have never before been accustomed to lay by any portion of their earnings. The Reverend Mr. Clark of Derby, who took an active interest in the extension of these useful institutions, has stated that one-tenth of the whole amount received by the Derby Penny Bank was deposited in copper money and a large portion of the remainder in threepenny and fourpenny pieces. It is clear, therefore, that the penny bank reaches a class of persons of very small means, whose ability to save is much less than that of the highly paid workmen, and who, if the money were left in their pockets, would in most cases spend it in the nearest public house. Hence, when a penny bank was established at Putney and the deposits were added up at the end of the first year, a brewer who was on the committee made the remark, Well, that represents 30,000 pints of beer not drunk. At one of the penny banks in Yorkshire, 
an old man in receipt of parish outdoor relief was found using the penny bank as a place of deposit for his pennies until he had accumulated enough to buy a coat others saved to buy an eight-day clock or a musical instrument or for a railway trip but the principal supporters of the penny banks are boys and this is their most hopeful feature for it is out of boys that men are made at huddersfield many of the lads go in bands from the mills to the penny banks emulation as well as example urging them on they save for various purposes one to buy a chest of tools another a watch a third a grammar or a dictionary one evening a boy presented himself to draw ten pounds according to the rules of the penny bank a week's notice must be given before any sum exceeding twenty shillings can be withdrawn and the cashier demurred to making the payment well said the boy the reason's this mother can't pay her rent i'm going to pay it for as long as i have out she shall have it another case a youth drew twenty pounds to buy off his brother who had enlisted mother frets so said the lad that she'll break her heart if he isn't bought off and i cannot bear that thus these institutions give help and strength in many ways and besides enabling young people to keep out of debt and honestly to pay their way furnish them with the means of performing kindly and generous acts in times of family trial and emergency it is an admirable feature of the ragged schools that almost every one of them has a penny bank connected with it for the purpose of training the scholars in good habits which they most need and it is a remarkable fact that in one year not less than eight thousand eight hundred pounds were deposited in twenty five thousand six hundred thirty seven sums by the scholars connected with the ragged school union and when this can be done by the poor boys of the ragged schools what might not be accomplished by the highly paid operatives and mechanics of england but another capital feature in the working of penny banks as regards to the cultivation of prudent habits among the people is the circumstance that the example of boys and girls depositing their spare weekly pennies has often the effect of drawing their parents after them a boy goes on for weeks paying his pence and taking home his passbook the book shows that he has a ledger folio at the bank expressly devoted to him that his pennies are all duly entered together with the respective dates of their deposits that these savings are not lying idle but bear interest at two and one half per cent per annum and that he can have them restored to him any time under twenty shillings without notice and it above twenty shillings then after a week's notice has been given the book is a little history in itself and it cannot fail to be interesting to the boy's brothers and sisters as well as to his parents they call him good lad and they see he is a well-conducted lad the father if he be a sensible man naturally bethinks him that if his boy can do so creditable a thing worthy of praise so might he himself accordingly on the next saturday night when the boy goes to deposit his threepence at the penny bank the father often sends his shilling thus a good beginning is often made 
and a habit initiated which if persevered in very shortly exercises the most salutary influence on the entire domestic condition of the family the observant mother is quick to observe the effects of this new practice upon the happiness of the home and in course of time as the younger children grow up and earn money she encourages them to follow the elder boy's example she takes them by the hand leads them to the penny bank and accustoms them to invest their savings there women have even more influence in such matters than men and where they do exercise it the beneficial effects are much more lasting one evening a strong muscular mechanic appeared at the bradford savings bank in his working dress bringing with him three children one of them in his arms he placed on the counter their deposit books which his wife had previously been accustomed to present together with ten shillings to be equally apportioned amongst the three pressing to his bosom the child in his arms the man said poor things they have lost their mother since they were here last but i must do the best i can for them and he continued the good lesson to his children which his wife had begun bringing them with him each time to see their little deposits made there is an old english proverb which says that he that would thrive must first ask his wife but the wife must not only let her husband thrive but help him otherwise she is not the helpmeet which is as needful for the domestic comfort and satisfaction of the working man as of every other man who undertakes the responsibility of a family women form the moral atmosphere in which we grow when children and they have a great deal to do with the life we lead when we become men it is true that the men may hold the reins but it is generally the women who tell them which way to drive what rousseau said is very near the truth men will always be what women make them not long ago mr sykes encountered in a second-class carriage a well-dressed workman travelling from sheffield to glasgow during the holiday times to see his mother i am glad said mr sykes to find a workman travelling so great a distance for a purpose like that yes said the man and i am glad to say that i can afford to do it and do many of the workmen employed in your workshop save money asked mr sykes no said the other not more than about two in the hundred the spare earnings of the others go not to the savings bank but to the drink shops and when did you begin to save when i was no bigger than that indicating the height of a little boy the first money i saved was in a penny bank and i have gone on saving ever since such being the influence of early practice and example we are glad to find that the economy is now being taught at public schools the rev mr crowlin of sussex county asylum has long taught lessons of thrift to poor boys and girls he urges the establishment of penny banks in connection with savings banks in all elementary schools he wisely contends that simple lessons on money its nature its value and its uses together with the various duties of giving spending and saving would have a vast influence on the rising generation 
The practice of teaching children provident habits has been adopted for about eight years in the national schools of Belgium. The school board of Ghent is convinced of the favorable influence that saving has upon the moral and material well-being of the working classes, and believes that the best means of causing the spirit of economy to penetrate their habits is to teach it to the children under tuition and to make them practice it. It is always very difficult to teach anything new to adults, and especially lessons of thrift to men who are thriftless. Their method of living is fixed. Traditional and inveterate habits of expenditure exist among them. With men, it is the drinking shop. With women, it is the dress. They spend what they earn and think nothing of tomorrow. When reduced to a state of distress, they feel no shame in begging, for the feeling of human dignity has not yet been sufficiently developed in them. With children, it is very different. They have no inveterate habits to get rid of. They will, for the most part, do as they are taught. And they can be taught economy, just as they can be taught arithmetic. They can, at all events, be inspired by a clever teacher with habits of economy and thrift. Every child has a few pence at times. The master may induce them to save these for some worthy purpose. At Ghent, a savings bank has been introduced in every school, and the children deposit their pennies there. It is introduced into the paying schools as well as the free schools, for habits of thrift are as useful to men and women of the richer as of the poorer classes. The results of the lessons on economy have been highly satisfactory. The children belonging to the schools of Ghent have accumulated 18,000 pounds, which is deposited in the state savings bank at 3% interest. This system is spreading into Holland, France, and Italy. It has also, to a certain extent, been adopted in this country. Thus Glasgow, Liverpool, Birmingham, Great Ilford, and the London Orphan Asylum all show specimens of school banks, and we trust that before long they will be established in every school throughout the kingdom. Footnote 1. A pamphlet published at Ghent says of the paying schools, the spirit of economy is introduced there under the form of charity. The young girls buy with their pocket money firstly materials, say cotton or linen, of which they afterwards make articles of dress during the hours set aside for manual work. Afterwards, the shirts, stockings, dresses, handkerchiefs, or aprons are distributed to the poorer children of the free schools. The distribution becomes the object of a little holiday. We know of nothing that can be more touching. The poor children are assembled in the Collier School. Our young ladies go were also. One of them says a few words feelingly to her sisters in the poor classes. One of the girls of the free schools replies. Then the pretty and useful things which have been made during the last year are distributed. It is the donors themselves who present the fruits of their labor to the poorest among the poor. The distribution is intermingled with singing. Need we reiterate the blessings of this blessed economy? End of section 12.